0: I'm my own. You tell you do. Ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining today this is deep stuff it's really really deep stuff not simple to understand not easy to compute and I suppose I have to kind of give you a warning (laughs) if you're looking for a jingle a quick answer or an easy explanation you're not going to find it here. The study of Hasidus is really not for the faint-hearted. There are many parts of Ter- And They're all exquisite. And divine. They all contain the energy that can touch and shock our soul and our psyche. Some in a more covert way and some in a more overt way. Simply stated, when you study a halacha, the technicalities of Jewish ritual law, be it law that governs interpersonal relationship or responsibility, obligations, the nature of commitments one might make or not, All of this is governed by Torah. And there are Torah ideas and ideals, technical elements, mechanical dimensions, and then there's jurisprudence and the philosophy and the theology that that kind of goes along with these ideas. Much of this isn't overtly spiritual. It's very technical. Now make no mistake, all of Torah all of Torah is holy. All of Torah contains within it what we refer to as the wisdom and the will of the creator of heaven and earth. When two people have a dispute, party A makes whatever claim and party B counters with a different kind of claim and we have to deal with the situation because part of torah is to be able to govern ourselves according to the rule of law so we're going to have we're going to have instructions that'll be found in the torah and it might not seem spiritual. It is the will of Hashem that party A or B is going to be in the right, but it doesn't seem overtly spiritual. At the risk of glossing over many, many nuanced and sophisticated different concepts, when we are studying Penimius Torah, when we're learning the inner esoteric track of Torah, it's it's impossible not to notice that we're talking about spirituality. And as such, it's overtly uplifting. It's a, it's a transformative kind of experience because it enables us to see what we are not capable of physically catching sight of. We are able to experience in our mind's eye a vision of things far grander far more magnificent than, than we can see in an ordinary or pedestrian fashion. This is part of a series. It's part of a series. You're joining me today, perhaps for the first time. And if you are, thank you for joining. I do hope you'll stay on. In order to appreciate the mimer, the manuscript that we're studying, you really need to go to the very beginning. I'm giving this refresher because we haven't done this for a year. Every year before Rosh Hashanah, we're going to continue along this mimer until we finish it. The mimer purports to bring to you kavanah sabal the mystical intentions that one is supposed to have in mind when they sound or perhaps even listen to the shofar. The nature of spiritual study is challenging for non-spiritual people just like uh, the the study of sound, would be a difficult thing to do to somebody who was hearing impaired. It would be very hard to figure out the acoustical effects of sound if you were not capable of hearing. You don't have that what it it takes, the technical ability, an ear. It would be almost unimaginable for a person who is not sighted Cannot see to talk about colors and their distinctions; That would be nonsensical. You don't, you don't really know what you're talking about, or a person who has never tasted or can't taste doesn't have taste buds to to be the chef. <laughs> you you can taste. So this is a futile pursuit for most of us because. We're not spiritual people. We're ordinary, regular people. The things that are generally important to us are things we can see with our physical eye, taste with our physical tongue, smell with our, with our nose and touch with our hands. And the things we're interested in for the most part are selfish. Things that make us feel good. Things that focus on, on me. You know the, the I because we love ourselves and we we live in a geocentric way without realizing it. Everything in our mind revolves around us. We tend to view things as so. What does that mean for me? How does it affect me? And if it doesn't, who cares? Now, holy righteous people, tzaddikim, are living in a different headspace and heart space, different consciousness. They've actually taken leave of the atmosphere, if you will. The gravitational pull of the physical, material reality is something that has no hold over them. These are like the great Kabbalists, people who study the highest form of spiritual disciplines. We are going to be studying a Maimer of Chassidus. And the Maimer of Chassidus is going to talk about things which are inherently beyond us, but the beauty the magnificence of Hasidus, is that the the subtlest, the deepest, the most profound spiritual ideas, concepts, and thoughts can be transmuted into our world so that we can have an appreciation of it, even if we can't experience it. When Mashiach will come, our eyes will open and we will see a new world. Everything will look different. And for those of us who spent the time pursuing spirituality through our minds and trying to grasp and understand the deepest concepts, it'll make perfect sense. The Altarebbe believed and taught that by studying these concepts, ruminating on these concepts, appreciating them to the best of your ability, you are necessarily able to develop a healthy emotional attachment and expression. That this is the way for us to serve God fully, heart, mind, and soul, in an authentic fashion. So with that little preface, and thank you for those who are joining. I appreciate the feedback. It's good to know I'm not talking to myself. Like I said, what we're studying today is a continuation of what we started prior. I'm going to try to make it understandable, even if you haven't yet listened to the previous episodes that I encourage you to listen to. And I'm going to tell you that we, we will not s- discover the mystical intention of the Baal Shem Tov just yet. The kavanas a Shem Tov, for Tkir Shofar, are not going to be understood after this this episode. And and maybe not after the next two or three episodes either. What we are achieving here is a level of understanding that, that kind of fills in the background or creates the backdrop and the framing that positions us to be able to open our minds and our hearts to Shemtiv. I should probably just start teaching the right? Eh? Let's do it. So in the Shad HaTchias, in the new print, it's on page 716, or Shin Nun Ches Omud Gimel. On the bottom half of the first column there's a new paragraph. And the Mimer, at this point, is going to reiterate something we've already learned, but reimagine it in a much, much deeper much, much subtler, much profounder level. And even just the contrast between what we've learned in the previous episodes and what we're gonna to learn today gives you a, a tiny appreciation of the proportion or disproportion between us, tiny figments of existence, and our Kodesh Baruch Hu, Almighty God, who for reasons we can't possibly fathom loves and cares about each and every one of us, plums our hearts and our minds for a moment of authentic devotion and finds delight in it. Don't ask me why. We don't understand it. It's beyond our capacity to fathom it all. But so it is. If there's a buzzword to be used, at this point, it would be mimutza. The word mimutza is a, it's an Aramaic word. And it comes from in between. There are in between realities. So say we have different realms, different stages, different universes. But there needs to be some kind of connection in order to link these inherently different realities... Because together they form a continuum, then we're in need of a mimutza. We're in need of the connecting piece. Here's a here's a lame metaphor. It's a lame example. There could be a, a a program out there on the web. And and you might have good, you know, hardware. You have a good laptop or a good desktop. But in order for you to access that program, you need what they call an app, or you need an operating system, some software. And the software allows your hardware to speak to that program, so that that program can be integrated into your hardware or in uh, slang, so you can download the program. Because otherwise, it's, it's, it's not on the same level, so to speak, it's not, it's not within the same realm. Sorry for the noise. It's a lame metaphor. It's a lame metaphor. I mean, obviously, a metaphor that, that couldn't have existed in antiquity. The, the ancient metaphors, when we talk about the language of Kabbalah that was documented centuries ago, was a Meturgamon. So instead of talking about the uh, Adobe software that downloads the PDF, and probably somewhere in the future when people will watch this, they'll wonder what Adobe is what a PDF is. A mamutza is a person who is able to translate. There's, There's a communicator. He has a message. There are those who are being communicated to. They don't speak the same language. On a very literal level, the interpreter speaks both languages. You have a person who's very wise. Say he speaks Hebrew. You have people who are intelligent, but not learned. Say they only speak English. You need to have a person who can speak both Hebrew and English to translate. He can connect the two. So they're inherently not capable of communicating because they're in different different worlds. One is in an English-speaking world, one's is in a Hebrew-speaking world, and they simply don't understand each other. Now, Let's make this a little more subtle. Suppose it's not a technical language barrier, but it's a a Weltanschauung, it's a a way of living. It's so vastly different from somebody else's way of living that he simply, he, he can't relate, doesn't understand. So what you might have is a facilitator, a person who at once can understand this higher way of living, and even appreciate it, but at the same time isn't divorced from it. And he can still relate to ordinary living. And this person who's living in a, in a higher world and sees things in a higher, more profound, visionary way doesn't have the ability to communicate to somebody who's very technical and very, very myopic and small-minded. Doesn't doesn't have room, if you will, in his being for, for all that sophisticated stuff. Just, just can't relate to it. But this person is able to relate. He is, he's a relatable person. He can relate the concepts. He can find a way to invoke metaphor and terminology, language and parable, so that the person who's inherently divorced and separated from, from this other extremely lofty person, they should be able to have a relationship or a connection. So that's like a mamutza. And there are, there are levels within our own psyche, within our own self. You're going to say, so, so what if they're not connected? Well, well first of all we, all, we all need to connect. It's all about connection. It's all about relationship. It's all about creating unity where there is, where there is division. But we are ourselves fragmented creatures. We have a subconsciousness. Sometimes we don't even know how to speak to our subconsciousness. We don't even know what's bothering our own selves. We can can communicate, but we don't know what subconsciousness means. We have ideas. We can understand something intellectually. But then again, we might have difficulty translating the idea that we believe to be right into an emotion, a healthy emotion. And the world of emotions are impetuous and seething hot blooded and passionate and the word of world of intellect is cool, calm, collected, objective. There's no right and wrong per se. It's just an idea. This is the this is this is what we're talking about now when we speak about Ibn Mutsu. So let's just begin to to study the Mimer inside. Ukumoiken mamush just like in the previous episode, we learned about this concept of memutza. So, Yuven Gamkein, Be'usia Samachshova. We're going to understand the same thing insofar as the language of thought. <laughs> All right, forgive me, one, one last little preface. So, what was the memutza in the previous episode? There's a person's thoughts, and then there's a person's speech. And in order for what's in here or in here to be out there, in order for us to communicate, I need to find words. And not only do I have to find appropriate words, which I can think of the appropriate way to say things, I actually have to find my voice. And I actually have to form words. And if, God forbid, somebody is not able, for whatever reason, to control their tongue or their lips, they lose control over that, lose mastery of that that part of the body, you're not going to be able to communicate, at least not verbally. So we talked about the first moment of sound, like when you're breaking that sound barrier, not the proverbial sound barrier, (laughs) Your sound barrier, the barrier that, you know, you couldn't find your voice. You couldn't bring yourself to speak about this. You were, you were shell-shocked until finally you made, you made a noise. <clears throat> you cleared your throat. You, you, you started to... So that moment of sound, that first sound is a memutza, because it actually is a letter. So if you say, ah, eh, eh, that's an aleph. Well, it's not a sophisticated aleph. It's not vayomer, because vayomer, and he said, is a conjunction of many different syllables. And the syllables are divided, the sound is divided, but what we call the hei moitzais. Five different ways that these sounds are brought forth. So, so try to say g without, without having the tongue and the, the, the lips and the palate. The, just leave your mouth open and say ah. Uh, try it. Just open your mouth as wide as you can and say go. Ah. Uh, it doesn't go, no, of course not, because there are different mitzvos. There are some letters that come from pressing our tongue against our palate. There are other letters that come from 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 pursing our lips together. Other letters that come from the the uh, the throat itself. So there are, there, are very, there are five mitzvos, and we talked a lot about this, and I want to repeat it. So there was this mimutza. And the mimutza is that primal sound. The primal sound that is the beginning of a sound, on one hand it is a letter. It's, it's you say, ah, 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 That's an aleph. That's the beginning of the letter aleph. So it's the beginning of sound. But of course if somebody is just gonna leave it with ah, 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 he didn't say anything. Oh, then he's moaning, groaning, or maybe very happy. So you need to form the words and and that mamutsa that moment that's the mamutsa where with there's a primal sound a very s- simple unadorned kind of sound that's the beginning of sophisticated sound so dalta says that just as we need to have we need to have I see I see Anna's commenting um garments of the soul um it's it's a it's that's like a Stay with me, and it's, it's a little more complicated. It's, it's like much more nuanced. So just like there are otiot, there are letters, there are spoken words. And then there's a memutza that brings us to spoken words. So there are also, there's a language of thought. What language do you think in? Some people think about different subjects in different languages that has a lot to do with how we were raised, what language is our proverbial mother tongue, or the language that we might have used to learn a particular discipline. So, so for example, there are certain things that I learned in my youth In, in Yiddish And even until today, it's easiest for me to think of those things in Yiddish. For most things, English is my first language. For certain things, Yiddish is still a first language for me. And there's even sometimes that, for whatever reason, I'll think in Hebrew because because I do a lot of things in Hebrew, like, like pray and study. So we use a language, we think in a language. Our thoughts might be jumbled. Our thoughts might not be intelligible to somebody else. They're, they don't have to be. <laughs> I don't have to think out loud. If I would actually think out loud without communicating, without making any effort to limit the way I'm thinking or give any background, or just like blurt things out, people would probably not really understand what I'm saying. In fact, almost certainly not understand what I'm saying. So if I've been thinking about something for the last 20 minutes and then I verbalize or audibly express myself in one detail of a 20-minute of a theoretical exercise or an or, or intellectual exercise, the person does not what I'm talking about. But it's a language. It's just a language in the mind. When we have cogent thoughts, we have literary thoughts. They're, 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 they're words. They're, they're expressive thoughts. They might not be geared for other consumption, for somebody else absorbing it, and I have to think about the words to use when I speak to you. So let's, let's say, for example, when I'm, when I'm studying this mimer for myself, and I, I, I studied this for many, many hours. I spent over this paragraph again and again and spoke to wiser people because I really I want to understand it well enough to be able to explain to you. I don't have to think about all the things I've said over the last 25 minutes. Because, because I know those things already. That, that's clear to me already. So I, my, my thought process begins after. In, tw- it began 25 minutes ago. But if I would simply begin 25 minutes ago with what I'm going to start saying now, you might well not understand a word I'm saying. And I, I would lose you. And that would be a crying shame. Because we're supposed to be communicating. So the Oysi HaSamach So Siddhartha Rebbe says like this just as emotions, just as emotions are not of the same grade. They're not of the same dimension as the intellect. as I talked about before, the difference in emotion and intellect. They're inherently different. Ad. So much so that for the mind to speak to the heart, there needs to be some kind of intermediary. There needs to be some kind of point of transmission where things can go from a cerebral, intellectual, objective reality to become a personalized, emotionally invested, here's how I feel or relate emotion. Let's make it very simple. What does it mean to have amida shebeseichah? What does it mean to have an emotion, an intellectual emotion? An intellectual emotion is necessarily not going to be seething or, or passionate. It won't be warm or angry because it's, a, it's intellect. It will be cool. That's the nature of true intellect. It will almost be almost indifferent that's why some people who are very intellectual don't relate well to other people. They don't have an interest in relating to other people, oftentimes. Not bad, just in their own world. And they may, might be accused of, you know, being in an ivory tower or, or in their own reality, but, but, but intellectuality is by definition that. So if we're going to talk about any subject under the sun that has some kind of cogency attached to it, some kind of rhyme and reason, some kind of rationale. And I could explain to you that there are opposing views on any particular subject or, or concept. And you can listen, listen to this. I would explain to you here is a school of thought. This is the school of thought that the glass is half-full. It actually is half-full. It's, it's 100% true. It is half-full. You can see it. You can, you can conceptualize that it, it's half-full. And there's another school of thought that the, the glass is half-empty. It's a matter-of-fact. It you, you can't ignore that it's half-empty. Not in an authentic intellectual way. They have to acknowledge the objective facts. You can choose to look at one side of the equation or choose to look at the other side of the equation. And there are opposite sides of the equation. So how do you feel about it? I don't feel. This is an intellectual thing. I don't have to feel about it. What are you going to do? What's right? Or perhaps what's wrong? There is no right or wrong. These are, these are different ideas. And different ideas are, are different. So what are you gonna decide? I don't know, I don't know, I can't make a decision. Some people have a hard time making decisions, they're very brilliant, they can analyze things, they can highlight and identify various different factors, but they can't come to a decision because you know the decisions are hard for real intellectuals. Decisions mean I have to choose or, or identify with one way or one approach. I don't wanna I do that, I like, I like going it's one idea, look at it the other way, the other way. It's more entertaining. It, it doesn't uh, obligate me in any way, shape, or form. Now, a decision is not passionate, necessarily. A decision could even be heavy-hearted. Or, or it could be, none of the above. Yeah, I made a decision. How do you feel about it? I don't really feel. just that this is what I'm going to do. Are you excited about your decision? No. Are you anxious, worried? Angry? No, no, I have no feelings. I'm not, it's not a feeling thing. I decided to look at this, and at a certain point, you know, there was these various differing approaches, and that's what I decided. So, it is not by definition an emotion, but it is no longer by definition pure intellect either, because a decision has been rendered. That's a memutza. So, when there's a shefa, from seichel to there is it happens through Now all of this has been talked about already. Now the Altar Rebbe says, Kach. Now we're going to bump it up. Now, now we're going to go deeper. We're going to go into a more nuanced kind of reality. And again, this is, these are metaphors. Real metaphors. Thoughtful metaphors. Mind-bending metaphors. This, this is about this is about minding the gap. That's, that's the name of today's class. Because w- there's a gap, there are gaps between different realities. We have to mind that gap, but this is going to be about the mind. The Altarebbe is going to identify an extraordinary gap that exists between what you, you could refer to as higher consciousness or pre consciousness and thought. And they're not the same. Raw intelligence an awareness of something, an intellectual epiphany or apprehension, which doesn't have a language per se. You say, ah, I got it. You haven't yet thought about it in a language. You certainly can't explain it, but you did to understand. You got it. The epiphany is real. It hasn't yet developed into any kind of language. Says the Sorry, I skipped the line here. There is no Erech. There is no, if you will, you, you, you can't really compare one to the other. There's no comparison. They're inherently non-comparable. You, what, what, what can you say about Color. You can compare a deeper hue, uh, a, a lighter hue, uh, a, more, a more intense color, uh, a paler color, but how can you compare sound and color? You re- I mean, you really can't, unless you want to just, you want to compare intensity, but there really isn't a comparison between sound and color or sound and, and visuals because audio is audio and visual is visual. One is uh, acoustical waves, and one are light particle waves. It's a or, or electromagnetic radiation. To be to be very very technical, right? Like like so so radio waves can be heard. Microwaves can be sensed. Um, ultraviolet ray, rays can actually be be seen. So radio waves um, can be you know, like several miles long, many many miles long actually. And uh, a gamma ray is much much smaller than than the atom. And and of course, light, visible light, light that we can actually see with our naked eye, is somewhere in the middle of this electromagnetic spectrum. But they're they're not comparable to one another. They're they're different, they're in different places in the spectrum. So there's an Ainarich between the oasis of machshava. But between, between the, 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 the letters or language of consciousness, in comparison to the essence of intellectuality itself, to grasp an idea, whether it's a mathematical equation, whether it's a scientific equation, whether it's a philosophical equation, whether it's a legal equation, there are various equations, there are various ways like, a person can grasp something. So, A, plus B plus C can equal X. Now, it's not the same as one plus one equals two. That's very easy. That's simple arithmetic. And then you can have a more sophisticated form of arithmetic. You can go into division, go into fractions. You can eventually go into calculus. They're not inherently different. They're, they're different applications of the same basic mathematical principles. But then there's a, a different world, like like there's a, there's, there's a logic to classical music. There's music that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> some people don't care. They'll tell you that it doesn't have to make sense. And the level of music, maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe, um, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. But maybe jazz doesn't make sense. Maybe jazz doesn't have to make sense. It, it probably does, actually, on some level. It's just it's a different kind of equation. It's, the, it's, not, it's not noise. It's music. Noises, I guess what we would call undesirable sounds, annoying sounds. And music is pleasant, music to my ears. So there are various equations that a person can make. A person, a person can make social equations. And we know if we, if, we, if we put people together in this and this way, at this and this time, under, under these conditions, this is probably what's going to result. And then, of course, there are wild cards because not everything is simple arithmetic. Some, some things aren't so square. There's fuzzy logic attached some, to certain equations. And by the way, even hardcore equations, when they reach an, like the level of astrophysics, don't necessarily either always make sense. And I heard this from an eminent physicist who talked about the end result and the equation and somehow... There's something missing <laughs> there's, because you're getting so sophisticated that, that, that they still haven't figured some of this out. They're still trying to figure out how you know, EMC equals 2, is that's, that's basic. But at a certain point, some of the equations and, and some of the, the final, if you will, resolutions, are not, they're not matching. Something's missing. So when we talk about these different worlds, there's an einarach between oisius adibur, just like we understand that the spoken word is really non-comparable to the me-distribble love, to the feelings of the heart. A person could be gripped by a particular emotion. Maybe they're very excited or enthusiastic. Maybe they're very morose and depressed or anxious. And then they, when they express those things, it's, it isn't necessarily so natural or easy to express those things. Sometimes people want to communicate and they're not... Succeeding. They're feeling certain things, and the person that they're sharing their feelings with isn't understanding what they're saying. So they might react in a knee jerk way. You know, like a person's going to start telling somebody about how they're feeling lonely and they feel vulnerable. And the other person who really isn't kind of in tune to that whole emotional spectrum just offers them a plate of food So, says, well, just, just eat something and you'll feel better. And you might feel better when you eat something, but that doesn't address the, and the, the issue at hand. And, and they totally did not understand. And maybe the person didn't have the ability to communicate it well. Maybe the person is not capable of hearing it. So, so we have these vastly different realities. We have to communicate between the two. And we see that there's a big gap between spoken words and the feelings that are being conveyed. Or the ideas that are being conveyed. We know that when you think in a language, we all think in language. When you think, let me, let me think about that. You're going to you know, ruminate, think about the subject. And when you're thinking, you're using a language. Maybe you're using your own language. I think they call it eubonics. Maybe there's the way you think when you talk to yourself. I I don't know. So when you think in that language, where are you getting the material from? What are you thinking about? So let me think about that. Think about what? Oh, nothing. I want to think about nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a ridiculous joke, they tell One guy says, my rabbi is fantastic. He he stands up there on Shabbos and he takes like one idea and he can talk about it for a half hour, just one idea. And the other guy goes, yeah, that's amazing. My rabbi is even better. Is it really? What does he do? He says he talks about absolutely nothing for a half hour. You can't think about nothing. You have to have what to think about. By the way, that leads us into a, a, a beautiful moral and ethical teaching in Judaism where we're supposed to fill our minds with content. Because the mind is always busy. Minds are busy things. You have to give it what to be busy with. If you don't give it anything good or positive to be busy with, it'll be busy with garbage. That's just the way things are. Our world has a lot of garbage. So if you don't fill your mind, actively work on higher content, on thinking about higher things and better things, then then your mind's going to think about mean, silly, capricious, self serving things, because that's what comes inherently or naturally or organically to people. So the ideas that are being thought of in a language of consciousness are being seeded or fed by what we call the seichel, intelligence, raw intelligence itself. So Lone Man is saying, the last action and the first thought are connected, and anything in between is the funnel for the intention to find expression in a new domain. You're you're not wrong about that, and what you just, in as many words, repeated is a very early Kabbalistic equation, which is called the circle. Namely, if you have, imagine. a a line, something linear. And you create a circle, you create the circle by bringing the two extreme poles together. That's how you create a circle. Because if you lay a line out, you'll have a beginning, pole A and pole B. And nothing could be further on this continuum than pole A and pole B. Pole A and pole B are the furthest outer reaches of this continuum, of any continuum. Anything which has a continuum, the beginning will be the furthest thing from the end. But, if you create a circular reality, or a repetitive reality, and in some way, all beginnings are always wedged into the end, because although the beginning is the furthest thing from the end, the intention at the beginning was to come to the end. So the first thought was the last action. It's a circle in as many words. And you you could say that that point of meeting is... That point of fusion between the first thought and the final action, everything else is part of the journey to get there. You're not wrong about that. That's true. But that's not what we're speaking about here. We're speaking about here about connecting one world to the next world. So one world to the next world, which goes through myriads of of such, if you will, transitions. Because that's the way the atoms connect. Each atom is its own self contained reality and it, it's linking up with other atoms. So, we're talking about the self-contained realities which have their own existence, independent existence, being able to mesh and meld with the next or, or feed the next, like a domino effect kind of thing. So, it's a, it's a little bit of a different, a different concept. And, and the point here is that it would not be possible for a person to think in language if the language didn't already exist or the ideas, the concepts that are now being spelled out in the language of thought, had to already have existed. Because what are you thinking about if it didn't exist before? So we see that the Oisiyas and are being fed by what we call the Seichel. Mikabel, Like we said, metaphorically, speech is expressing something. I have, to, I have to have something to express. Like people say, uh, so what do you say? I don't have anything to say. Why not? I just have nothing to say. Do you want to share with me? I have nothing to share with you. So this, you know, wives get offended because their husbands don't talk. They're not inherently wrong. They say, I don't understand. You have no feelings for me? Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you thinking about me? Why don't you care about me? If you care about me, then then you have something to say to me. Two people could be dumped into a common physical space and have nothing to say to each other. They have no relationship whatsoever. But if they have a relationship, maybe it's a bad relationship, they might come to words or they might choose to their lips and not say anything or if they're two good friends and they meet all of a sudden they have lots to say what are they speaking about they're expressing their emotions I'm so excited to see you how have you been i've been thinking about you etc so the the emotions express themselves in speech and the dibur is mikabel mikoyl havelalev it's it, the, the, the 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 actual verbalization the articulation of an idea or of a feeling is receiving from what we talk about in the language of koil. The voice, the inner voice of the heart, the heart's voice. The not language, because it's not communicable, but it's still relating. The heart relates. So language is a way to relate. Language is a way to communicate. Communicate is a way to build that relationship. But if I don't communicate it, I still could have that relationship. So then if I have that relationship, there is already a voice inside. It's just not a communicative voice. It's not an audible voice. It's not sharing anything with you, but it's still relating to you. So it's called a koil, It's called a voice, euphemistically. Raksha, the The voice, and this is not an audible voice. The voice is called a koelopnima. It's called the inner voice. You ever hear people say, I want to listen to my inner voice? And in fact, he, the Altar says that this kolapnima is the voice of Bina. Underdog unknown. You have a very interesting name. Um, fill your mind with higher thoughts from a higher plane to which one must transcend to a higher state of consciousness. Okay, so the answer is yes. Yes, we could We could be in a higher state of consciousness. We could be tuned into a different frequency because of what we're thinking about and what we're choosing to focus on and ruminate on. Is that a trans? Figuration of the soul. So here, here I'm not sure that 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 I understand or agree with what you're saying. I'm not sure that we can inherently change our soul. Well, let me put it to you this way, I think this is what you mean, Mr. Underdog. And you can tell me if I'm if I'm understanding. But but this this is this this is certainly what I'm what I'm trying to convey. When when you're in a certain headspace, so you're aware of things. Because, because that's, that's where you are. That's where you function. And nobody else might be aware of these things. Let's say that people who are in, um, in security. They, they, they have a background. They come into a room. They look. The first thing they look for is the exit. You, you didn't even notice. <laughs> I didn't even notice where the exit. Name is Damien. Okay, Damien, no problem. I, I'm not a Novi. I'm not a, a prophet. I, I only know the name you put there. So, Damien, so if, I, if I, I'm not a, a security expert, but I, I have in, in a synagogue, I have security experts. I have people who, who actually know and understand this and they have background. And they, they tend to look at things differently. So when they, when they walk into a room because of their training and because of their experiences, the first thing they notice is the exit. How do I get out of here? Well, because that's where their headspace is. And they also notice... Where, where people might be able to hide or where possible danger could come from. They'll tend to position themselves in a, in a certain way even though they're not necessarily in a dangerous situation, but maybe they'll put their backs to the wall because they feel safer that way because of their training. So, so that's, that's, that's what they're thinking about. That's where their head is. Because, you know, I, I spoke to an older person Person's a little more mature. Person in the seventies, very very brilliant person, and he told me about his new reality. I I said, uh, so, what what new reality? I was like curious to this brilliant person's new reality. He says the new reality is he says when I come anywhere he says to speak or, or to meet, my first concern is where's the washroom. I'm like. I. Beg your pardon? And he says, well, you know, look at a certain point, it's harder to hold your bladder and continence becomes an issue and it's probably nothing more embarrassing, no greater loss of, of human dignity, right? But you got to go, you got to go. I'm like, Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm still very young. I don't really understand or relate to that. I could hear it. I can't relate to it. I certainly don't think that way, but in this person's headspace, that's what they're experiencing. So that's what they're noticing. They notice where the door is. They notice where the washroom is. These are very pedestrian examples. But the fact remains that the two kinds of people I just spoke about would notice things that you didn't notice. You know, there was a... a conductor named Toscanini. He was a, a marvelously talented person. I think he lived, like, in the 30s and 40s. And the story goes that there was a... There was a concert on the radio of, of a symphony, a very uh, Philharmonic, a very famous symphony. They were playing one of the most difficult pieces of classical music ever written. I don't know, 30 or 40 rests, like something extraordinary. So they asked Toscanini if he wanted to listen, and he said, yeah, yeah. And he listened on the radio with intense concentration, and when it was all over, so they, they asked uh, Toscanini, well, what do you say? He says, it was okay. There was, a, there was a cello missing. It was okay. And it took a couple of weeks, but they actually found out that, the, that one of the cellists didn't make it. There was actually a cello missing. It took talking like 101 pieces. Okay? Like, I would never know the difference. I wouldn't know the difference if half the cellos were missing. But that was his world. He was in that headspace. So when you're in that headspace, you actually notice these things. So it's a reality, a reality that what what is reality? Reality is a thing that's real to us. That was real to him. It's not real to me. A cello more, a cello less doesn't mean anything to me. I wouldn't under, I wouldn't realize it. I wouldn't know if I was sitting in front of it. So these are some some of the, I hope Damien that helps you. That's that's some of what we're talking about here. So when a person is going to express himself, going back to the mind right now. So bechinas koil the osias machshava. It's called a kolopnima, it's the inner voice. And this is called the kolopnima of Bina. Now the idea of an inner voice is talked about in, in many, many places in ancient Jewish mysticism. I'm going to share with you at least, I'll, I'll show with you two excerpts of the Zohar, which is the, the foundational book of, of Jewish mysticism. The foundational book of what they call Kabbalah. And the Zohar tells us that for human beings, the inner voice is meaningless. I don't know what your inner voice is saying. But when we talk about higher reality, the inner voice is deafening. What's being said is meaningless. So for example, there's the czar In Parshas Vayigash, a very famous czar it speaks about the Shemona the Amidah, the way the Jewish people pray the climax of our daily services which is where the world the word tfila from a missional level actually applies. So the Zohar says on on page 210 of the classic print of the Zohar, So the Zohar talks about the idea excuse me. That the person who prays the Shmonesrei out loud, audibly, his prayers are not heard. When you're verbalizing your shmonesrei, it diminishes. Diminishes the efficacy. Because begin the de istama. Because prayer is not a voice that is audible audibly articulated. The 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 voice, the loud voice, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. It's not, not authentic prayer. Authentic prayer means communion and connection. When I'm praying out loud, then there's, there's a little bit of me expressing itself. And when there's self-expression, it bars me from absorbing, from being fully humble before God, from melting into godliness. So I'm not connecting fully. So the one who is praying, this is a, it's a, it's another voice that's kind of, it hinges on the voice that is heard. But the, there is the kala delo that's written without a vav, that that is ultimately where prayer really hails from. And therefore, when one reaches the climax of prayer, which takes time, by the way, to get to, and you are supposed to daven out loud up until the Shmon Esri and verbalize your words, but then when you come to the Shmon Esri, to the climax of prayer, so you're not supposed to verbalize it la le a person should not be audible at the time of prayer. to pray silently. with that voice, that is not heard. This is the prayer that can always be received and accepted. This is authentic prayer. And then the Zohar goes into a number of interesting cross-references that, that it come from it. There's another interesting Zohar. It's the Zohar found in Parshas base. It's found on uh, page 226. The Zohar says over there that even Torah, which is not prayer, The Torah that comes from God, The real essence of Torah is not the audible part of Torah. It comes from a higher place. This is the great voice. There's the voice of God that the people heard. But then there's the voice of God that didn't stop expressing itself. The continuous downflow, if you will, of of divinity. that, That continues to nourish and to feed. This is the God godal ihu roze did. I say? that's the mystery, the secret of Torah. And that's the kol of yosef. That's the voice of God that never ended. So we have this idea of the silent voice. The silent voice is actually far more authentic and far louder, far more deafening than the words that are spoken. Spoken words are deficient because spoken words only have that which is heard attached to them. And sometimes, sometimes profound people are able to glean more from what was not said, from the silence between the words, rather than from the words themselves. because the things that you didn't say could sometimes be far more personal, far more revealing. You can speak far louder. It's a very deep concept. It just means that not every voice has to be heard in order for effective communication to unfold. And this is called, the kola is called bina. So why is it called bina? It's a, it's a really good question. Why is it called bina? The simple answer to that question is that the concept of chokhmah or epiphany doesn't have any kind of articulation attached to it yet. It's, 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 it's just overwhelming. Just like this burst of light, this burst of inspiration. But when you start to express it, which is what the idea of, of voice means, expression. So when you start to express it, you have to already, the details have to start getting filled in. So here's a, 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 a lame metaphor. Um, there's, there's matter, and then there's form. Form is bina. Matter is the basic essence. What's in front of me is pulp, but actually... The details are that it's printed books and specifically books of torah mysticism so that's the form that's attached to it and that's bina that's details because that's found in the details the difference between this pulp and the pile of pulp is that that's just empty paper and this pulp is filled with words not gibberish it doesn't just look like words it's not a simulated thing with a lot of words on it that look like words is actually incredible words here and you have to have background, to read and understand them. So that's what we call the Kala of Bina. Deloimishtama, which is not heard. Commission of Here the Rebbe says something positively mind-blowing. In Kain, he says, if so, Behechrich Shetzarek Li gam Kain, Bechinas Mimutza, that also needs a Mimutza. It also needs a mamutza. Why does it need a mamutza? It needs a mamutza because it's got to go out from the world of seichel, pure intelligence. It has to filter through into the world of articulated thought. Thought, not speech. It's non-audible. There is no sound, no acoustics attached to this. But nonetheless, it needs language for it to be developed. And that's a silent voice, because a voice, when when we say audible, we mean expression. So it's a silent expression. It's an expression of the idea. There's the idea itself, the epiphany itself, and then there's the expression of the idea. Where the idea takes on depth and breadth. It gets kind of, its nuances gets developed. Bina. It's like the word bona means developing. So it's a developing story. And that developing story needs language. But in order for to go from an idea, a raw idea, to a developing story, you need an enormous shift, a transition. There needs to be a mamutza. there needs to be that middleman, so to speak. And this is something just like we said earlier, that there needs to be a concept of koil hevel ha that there needs to be the fervor, the feeling, the passion of the heart. And the passion of the heart that's connected to a larynx and a voice box and a person who is getting oxygen and has the strength to be able to pull himself together and express himself. He's not just laying there, barely existing. He's, he's filled with intensity. And then it's going to be articulated. It's going to be brought forth in, in speech, in a, manner of, in a manner of speaking. So that we need to have a mamutza. Where does it begin from? We said it, the, the first, like, in order to penetrate that world, to go from one world to the next, the first, the first you know, breaking the glass ceiling, opening the next dimension, it comes with a sound like a person has to find his voice person sometimes is so exasperated, so overwhelmed by a, a, a set of circumstances. He f- his feelings are so strong, he, he can't even speak. You, you see a person like that Have been in that situation, which is dumbfounded. You can't find your voice. And then you, you <clears throat> clear your throat. They say, uh, 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 and Oftentimes when people want to communicate something and they're very emotional about it, very agitated or excited, very upset or enthusiastic they don't easily articulate I say, okay like like calm down and like just get a grip on yourself and oftentimes that communication will begin with just like noise they'll say um uh, uh, uh y- 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 you know what I'm saying? Right? There's like a, a, a sound. That sound is the memutza. That sound, that's the opening of the aleph. And that opening of the aleph, that's the beginning of the articulated letter. And from, once you can find, once you can make some noise, once, once you actually like break the silence, then, then you can start to speak. Sometimes nobody wants to speak first. You know the silence, that's... It's so thick you can cut it with a knife. It's palpable. And then the first one to break the silence is kind of opened the possibility of communication. So it's a mumutza. It's not yet a sophisticated form of verbal communication, but it's what opens the door to it. So, Alberev says, "Kach Yuvan, the same thing will also be understood." But Osiyas Hamachshava D'mkein, the same thing will be understood in Osiyas Hamachshava, in the language of thought, which has to be fed by ideas themselves. As he continues to explain, Dihine just like we learned in the previous episode that the word which is Hebrew for and he said it begins with a basic almost primal sound a very basic expression of articulation a very basic sound Aleph and then it's vayoymar, which take a number of different moitzois different methods of diffusion to be articulated. So then there's the vayoimer, not the spoken vayomer, but there's the vayimer as it's thought. And he said, and then he said, I'm not talking to you, I'm thinking to myself, and then he said. You know, you're like reviewing a conversation. You had this, this meeting. And the person said A, and the person said B. And then he said, Vayoymer. And why would he have said that then? And I'm thinking about Vayoymer. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking about the Vayoymer. So, Keshachaychev, Tziruv Teh When you're thinking this conjunction, if you will, of, of letters, of syllables, of consonants that are coming together to form this, Behechrich and these letters have to come from the same methodology that is used for sound to become articulate speech, namely the, those, the, the five forms of diffusion, the five dimensions of diffusion of articulation, right? The va, yoi, mar, different parts of the, the mouth, the palate, the lips, the, 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 the teeth, in order for something to be expressed. So this is also true, conceptually speaking, in order for a person to think about that, so the raw idea, the, the awareness, and like before, I thought, and then he said, and, and I think, and, and, and then he said, but, but I didn't think it. then he said, I just like, oh, it suddenly hit me, and then he said, A, B, C, D, E-E, whatever it was. And then he said, when did he say that? He only said that after so-and-so said this, and the other one said that, and then he said. So there's the idea, there's the raw idea, which is not yet articulated, and then it filters through into the language of consciousness. And I'm thinking, and then he said that? (laughs) So that also needs these five gates, so to speak, just, just the way sound does. Now, we don't tend to think this way, but that's how it is. Just like the light of intelligence, which is going to be embodied in these words. Through that intermediary, if you will. That is the dimension of the language of consciousness, and that is their origin. Now, the the origin of the thought, the thought communication, is also, that's the lowest level of raw intelligence, pure intelligence. And it is from there that the actual, Language of consciousness can be developed. This is very, very profound, very deep stuff. I'm going to say I I hope that you have been following and understanding. I prepared much more for today. But with an eye on the clock and knowing that we've already uh, sailed past an hour mark, maybe it's good for us to take a break at this point. Uh, Think about, talk about, ruminate on the things we learned today. And with Hashem's help, next week we'll be back to continue to make our way through this remarkable mystical teaching and uh, perhaps no you don't know the basham's intentions just yet and and perhaps you haven't learned anything about the shofar per se but like like a canvas that has to be first whitewashed and then before the artist begins to fill in the details, he has to create the environment, the panorama, where we're creating the backdrop, the appreciation, the apprehension of, of a spiritual reality, which we can't see, but we can intellectualize, that will enable us, Ezra Hashem, to know all of the things we just spoke about with God's help. And that's how the study of Chassidus goes. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you found this uh, inspirational and informative, even though we didn't answer any questions yet. I didn't really explain the details. And that as a result of our efforts, hopefully sincere, real efforts, to try to understand that which is beyond us, that we should actually finally be transported into that beyond with the coming of Mashiach and the sounding of the great shofar, Ben Heira, obi speedily. And in our days, amen. Thanks for joining. I look forward to seeing you back.